degeneracy. Mm-hmm. It's it's much easier to be a slut online. It's much easier to give in to those uh, desires and stuff like that than to project uh, a counter counter values or I guess uh, more conservative values, right? But you do see inklings of people longing for that. You have like kind of meme on the level of the meme, like with the trad wife meme and there's a lot of like stirrings and the creative dissident right or not left that are they're kind of pining they're looking for some sort of um structure that would be kind of like a reinvigoration of conservative so-called conservative values based around sexuality it would have to be based around sexuality and that's why in in the kind of the during the early mega years in 2016 um you saw you saw it uh, appearing in a negative in negative relief with the prevalence of the word cuck cuck mm, mm-hmm. became a currency of, of slander and, and what that's really talking about is about a sexual moray about a man um being with one woman and a woman being with one man like a, a very direct uh you know sex pact and the violation of that sex pact would be cuckoldry um, mm-hmm. which is slander you're you're weak man you know or in the, another uh, one um on the meme front is uh my my wife's son the, they say oh. that a lot you know like oh. or when when they're making fun of somebody well, what does your wife's son think of that you know so that they do have like so there is kind of that masculine kind of expectation or masculine role of like either either you're the the father or you're the cuck right so mm-hmm. and that that's in relief that doesn't talk about what you're bringing up, Deborah, about like women acting uh, conservative and then then following suit. But you can kind of see that the inkling of that manifesting in different forms, crudely, albeit. So if if people are just joining, then we, we, they would have missed the prompt, and that was Deborah bringing up um, how would men respond to a, a to a, a more sexual conservative or a movement towards sexual conservatism is that about right well maybe yeah. maybe rephrase that deborah for me well you know if it seems like there's slight musings inklings i don't know whatever in the culture just given where how porn has gone how um you think about online dating um women empowered by being like so sexual and starting to wait a minute you know you have mary harrington writing louise perry writing questioning aspects of the sexual revolution so i was wondering you know if there was some sort of pendulum swing back to you know maybe more um i don't even know if i want to use the word conservative whatever like mores around sexuality and say women women would probably be the ones that would start that direction you know would the men follow suit given there are these you know there's porn there's you know whatever they're gonna get the sex doll like whatever the things are like would they you know it's, it's easier for women to abstain I think I don't know am I I may be wrong about this um women can scream about that but that then, then maybe men or whatever and so I just didn't know I was like what are men gonna think about that well that's interesting I wonder if it's even it, it seems like it would be really hard for there to be a movement towards that among young women because the the desire to use the sexual currency that's available is really strong in young women. And so would how would women move towards more that's what I'm thinking conservative too, if values? Look, if they look and they go, uh-oh, no guy's going to, you know, whatever, then uh, how are we going to do this? Either. So I don't know. That's why I was thinking, is it possible at this point? Like you said, what did you say, Benjamin, the words? It was, it was decadence. It was something like we've gone so far <laughs> yeah. in a direction 
you know, can we move with all these op this optionality? Hmm. Well, let me introduce solid ground real quick and then we'll jump oh. back in there. So welcome to live stream number 29. Jennifer's not with us today. She's uh, She'll be with us again next week. And um, today we have Benjamin Boyce with us. We have a couple of interesting things to, to chat about and um, glad everybody's here. David, you want to do an intro so we can let people know what solid ground is if they're not familiar? Absolutely. You got to rewrite this as an iambic pentameter poem. If you're going to recite it every time, you got to, it's got to be. Da -da, da -da, da -da, da -da, Would you like to write no? that for us? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. I guess don't volunteer. Don't, don't yeah. make suggestions. Yeah. <laughs> No, I can try and improvise it right now in a kind of different beat. But Sing it, David. I would go terribly wrong. <laughs> I'll, I'll workshop it between weeks. Um, watch this space. But um, for now, here's the uh, um, it's the plain old variety solid ground blurb. Solid ground is a peer support community for anyone concerned about the imposition of critical social justice, aka woke, and or COVID mandates in their workplace, university, children's school, or community. We offer weekly online peer support groups in which members share ideas, thoughts and support for how to navigate the impact of these ideologies and answer the question, where do we go from here? You can join one of our groups for only $5 per month. To find out how to join our community, please visit solidgroundsupport.com. And please note, Solid Ground does not provide psychotherapy or legal advice and nothing we do should be construed as such. Excellent. All right, Benjamin, do you remember what? before the break? <laughs> <laughs> do I remember what? What you were going to say before I cut you off? And well, I was going to ask what David thought if, like, oh, if okay. he'd be, uh, if he'd be down with a prim and proper woman, or if he he likes the undulant uh, Lilith type or Babylon style, like, if he was on the market. Two options. I think um I think I would say uh, at the age I'm at um I, I think I am moving more trad in definitely in the trad direction um but I certainly was more interested in experimenting and having shorter term relationships when I was in my early 20s and just to sort of go with what you're saying there about having the currency when you're younger and wanting to spend it <laughs> I think there is a bit of that but I also wonder if I wonder if like with the sort of red pill community online with figures who have those kind of strange meetups where you have kind of quite bullish uh, male role models, if you like to call them that, talking about how you should find a woman with all of these idea, um, ideas of, of importance of family role models and things like that. You should put all of those expectations on your potential partner. And yet they all seem to also advocate um, being men who uh don't have too much respect for short-term relationships they kind of they, they, if you have a few short-term relationships that's also fine because you're kind of building your your experience level or your you're kind of increasing your machismo as a result of having those short-term interactions so I, I kind of think to myself that's either a contradiction that's gonna end in in problems or it's just uh as I guess like Chris Williamson and, and other people have been pointing out there's that 5% of, of men that seem to be on dating apps at the moment. And um, just on the, on, in the online communities, they seem to be where all of the women are heading towards. Women have that hypergamous um, pattern, which is that women like to date uh, 
above their social standing or or at least as equal to their social standing socioeconomically and and um socioeconomically or whatever but um so that five percent are kind of those individuals maybe we see in these youtube uh, uh podcasts and things but um they're pushing out messages which are are completely misrepresenting most of most of the men most men who are looking for probably some form of interaction with a woman outside of their porn addiction maybe <laughs> i don't know <laughs> yeah when, when bringing up this topic uh william costello has done a lot of research into incels i don't know if you guys are aware of him or spoke with him he's a really great guy um but in the incel like if just stripping away the uh, you know the slanderous kind of associations with it like you're, you're not man enough but there is a large subset of men who are for one reason or another unable to make contact with women and yet want to make contact with women don't know how to make contact with women whether with self-esteem issues or other kind of like quirks of their personality and to you know when we're fitting or when we're broadcasting dating device, uh, dating advice or, uh, you know, cultural changes and stuff, there, there are a lot of people who fall through the cracks and that gets into the whole, the progressive problem, like you've just chasing the margins and like one size is never going to fit all and stuff, but inspiring, like, how do you inspire women, um, to compromise and how do you inspire men to compromise? Because when we're talking about monogamy, when we're talking about conservative values, you're talking about compromise between desire, possibility, infinite potential, and like actuality, drudgery, um, mundanity, like day in, day out, and high industriousness, high conscientiousness, rather than like high openness and um, generally speaking. And so it's not necessarily easy for everyone to be conservative and it's not necessarily easy, even as it is not necessarily good for society that more and more people aren't conservative. So it's kind of a vicious cycle of degeneracy. This whole sort of shopping model. I mean, Mary Harrington in so many ways, this, this, any of these things that would have been in the private realm, you know, now being now that there's apps and there's the market, you maybe before you had your community and you had your Yenta, you know, you had your matchmaker and, they got you with somebody and you might not have picked them. <laughs> I've been wondering a lot about matchmaking lately. And like, I've seen some podcasts about that lately. There's going to be a resurgence of something like that. There's still some shopping. I suppose someone else is shopping for you, I guess. <laughs> but um, <laughs> that like having the checklist, right? And like, does this person have the specs? Um, that's really, I think probably ruined <laughs> for a lot of people. Yeah. Well, looking well, at the chat, yeah. um, uh, well, hi, hi to CNY photo video and insane news. Hello. Um, insane news says truly to tell you the truth. I think people are addicted to the internet instead of families. And I was mm. just wondering that too. What is the relationship? What do you think the relationship is between the internet and the way we use the way we communicate online and the direction we've headed in terms of human connection? I can say not good. I mean, I mean, even when my family gets together, everyone's kind of on their phone when we're in the same space. Mm -hmm. I have to work to make sure I put it somewhere else. So, and then if you're trying to actually form something, I mean, that's like, I already have this family established, right? It's not like I'm sitting there trying to make something new, which is going to take time and investment. It's not a given. 
um, I, I think it's a big problem. It's a problem for me. I mean, I'm by myself in New York. I don't know people. So my life is kind of on the internet, right? It's like, I watch the podcasts. I get on our solid ground groups, right? I'm like, okay, I'm having some contact. Um, if we didn't have the internet, I'd be forced to try to go meet people. Benjamin, you look like you want to say something. Well, I, I don't know. The, the internet is just here and it's not going away. So uh, we can we can um, decry it. And I have a, a plenty. But the thing is, is like human beings are either going to adapt or die to this. And I think we're probably more likely to adapt than to it going away or us dying out. So I think that it's just kind of um, as we get through and uh, develop certain mores around it mm -hmm. um, on an interpersonal level, on a familial level, um, you know, and people will be doing different experiments with it, like no screens for my kids, total screens for my kids. And there's probably somewhere in between having access to the internet and not and being denied the internet for a developing mind. That's probably the optimal amount because the internet is great. Um, there's a lot of great possibilities for that, like information, um, communication, um, you know, uh, just different forms of human expression or, you know, that's where all the art's going to be. It's not going to well, be in museums. And so that's a good point. It's not a black and white issue. It's not just, this is, this is a scourge and we shouldn't be using it, or this is fantastic and it doesn't present any problems but that's that i think that's where the question lies is what is the relationship what has happened and what has changed due to it and how can we live with it in a productive way and when you're talking about incels i wonder about that you know like these are it's, it's kind of the, to deborah's point if you are able to meet your needs adequately or if it feels like you have met a lot of your social needs through the internet and it 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 avoids some things that are really uncomfortable about connection you know it avoids some of the awkwardness and rejection of real life you can move around you can uh, you can fluidly move through spaces you can reshape your persona so that you're more palatable to others or you know you can you can play with language and and timing in ways that you can't in person and so that that leads you to feel sort of satisfied on a certain level socially but not really not in a deeper way but because you're somewhat satisfied you're less likely to have the pressure to go out and force yourself to engage yeah i, I also just wonder if i'm if if i'm sometimes being honest with myself am i really satisfied with this stuff or is it just a distraction and is it, it and when i say to myself oh, i'm bored so i need to listen to a podcast chopping the vegetables is going to be much more interesting with the podcast is it really boredom or if I'm really being honest, are there things that, you know, mull over my head that I just think, oh, I could just distract from them and I could really just get on with, um, I don't know, someone else's outrage about uh, a new, I don't know, blonde pink cinema going film that's come out and someone oh, else. Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Did you see it? Did you watch it? I haven't seen it yet. David, come on. So it's okay. <laughs> what do you think about that, Ben? uh barbieheimer <laughs> i'm seeing oppenheimer tonight then oh, okay yeah yeah no. yeah well i won't i won't spoil it for you uh, there's nothing to spoil the world ends um <laughs> pink explosion <laughs> pink you brought you brought up a lot i'm wondering to what extent um how that can loop back to relationship formation 
mm. and to interpersonal connection. Can it be possible to have a deep connection with people via the internet? I mean, I think it is. I've met a lot of friends that I think that there is something lacking there, but there's also a lot that's there's less lacking than one would think. Like, mm. like when you have a sustained uh, long-term friendship with somebody over Twitter, you know, like you're, you're a mutual and you see their thoughts, you know, and they post their suntans or their sunburns, you know, and then they have their thoughts about COVID or AI, you know, I'm thinking one, one of my, a person I've followed for a few years now, Amanda left coast. She's just this Texan mom CEO. And I've gotten to know her quite a bit just by seeing her flash through my timeline, you know, and I feel like this affinity to her. And then I had her on my show and we did like an hour you know, conversation about her spiritual life and like her, her positions on things. And I feel like this is a person that if, if I was in the same town, we'd be hanging out. Mm -hmm. um, I just, I feel like an affinity for her and and it feels like not like a shallow affinity. I mean, I know it's a, it's a tentative or it, it's, it's a light connection, but it's not like based on well, flirtation or some sort of like false thing. It's just like these, this is an affinity with this person who's of my generation, who speaks my language, who has these weird thoughts, you know, and I like them. And I think that also like, that's one interpersonal relationship, but as somebody who's a influencer, who is stepping out, like Leslie, you'll know this too, stepping out and becoming more and more uh, of a figure that people watch. And there's more and more people looking at you than you're looking at. You do, there is some sort of, reality to the connection that people have with you when they listen to your voice when they listen to your thoughts when they follow you and there's something that's happened to me very recently that's kind of like a, a cautionary tale about parasociality and parasociality would be this kind of mm. uh, this this virtual friendship that you have where somebody starts to build up so much expectations on you that when you don't align with their expectations they become humiliated and betrayed when it's like that relationship's not real for them so there is a danger of because there's no direct feedback loop and because i'm being selective with what i'm putting out because i can only put out so many things that somebody can form like this huge crush on me or like this really powerful projection or transference onto me um that is false but it's them i think it's real for them it's real for that person to work out whatever they put on me like they're using me and to an extent to work out something in them. And if you look at real life relationships, especially like teenage relationships, the people that you fall in love with, the people you have crush with, you're not really in love with them. You're in love with something inside of you that was wanting to put out on them. And I think even in long-term relationships, you use each other. We use each other, even in the most intimate relationships to, to work out things that are, that are inside of us and have them kind of concretized and put on somebody else. So there's, Parasociology, uh, parasociology, uh, or whatever that is, um, is an extension of something that we're already doing in the social sphere. Identity, this this form of identity that we're dealing with now, is an extension of something that we've already been working on and, and dealing with as social currency um, at smaller scale, or well, slower scale, or more local scale. That's really, I think that really illustrates the lack of depth in the actual connection because you're really connecting back into self you're you're sort of there's a reflection i so i remember when um i i was in new york in um february and i saw jennifer and jody and i saw you too deborah deborah you and i didn't have we hadn't connected a whole lot prior to that we had connected just a little bit but i had had quite a long 
history of connecting with Jennifer and Jody by that point and seeing two people that I met weekly online and had, you know, we had David and, and Jen and Jody and I had been meeting for quite a while to, to have these conversations about how we were going to build, build solid ground. I already thought of these people as my friends and to see them in person was so different. It was like, there's this, it's so, there's such a different quality. You're looking, it's like, you're real, you're three-dimensional. You're like, look there, there's just such a completely different energy to seeing someone in person. And you get a sense of the, of how shallow you really have been connecting and, and realizing this person. I, well, I think that be, there's a complete difference. Could that be your decision to use a crappy webcam and, and a low quality uh, <laughs> microphone? <laughs> no comment. So, <laughs> um, but no, I don't think so. Um, I will read a couple of, of comments here. Um, a Asante sent a super chat. Thank you very much. And said, do you guys think religious conservatives were right about sex and relationships in hindsight? And then I'm just going to read one more real quick and you guys can chew on these if you want. Um, James McDougall said, I guess porn is replacing marriage as a way to pacify men. Marriage helps stabilize society by giving men mating access. These men also want a stable society to raise their children. And do you guys have any thoughts about either of those comments? Deborah, you look really I, I, thoughtful. Well, I have, I have been wondering about a lot of things about you know, what has been true in tradition that we cast aside, and or was it that we needed to go through some stages and maybe understand some of the principles like say let's have marriage be sacred or whatever we but we maybe we needed to do this individual differentiation thing women being real people to then get there i don't know i mean because I, I i have been wondering a lot lately if so many of the things that have been cast aside is just old-fashioned or you know biased or bigoted or whatever like that there isn't some fundamental truth in them and we were just sort of like ah not that you know in the name of, of some kind of liberation so um maybe we can come at it in a more enlightened way now or a more i don't know because i do i question even the whole women's movement women's liberation and yet it seems like we needed women to actually be full people like i feel like that was that really that opportunity was um important and necessary to kind of really meet even with the, the the asymmetries that are there, like, I don't know, to have people that are more adult and more full, but um, I, I really am wondering about that it wasn't just some sort of um, backwards, let's just control women's sexuality because otherwise they're going to go out of control, like that there was like other reasons <laughs> that were sound for behind, for um behind the injunction yeah behind religious morality. injunctions yeah i mean it's not been cast as like women were property and they just didn't want you running around being licentious you know whatever right mm -hmm. um well that's an interesting that is interesting and i've i've been wondering about this i i actually asked yako this when i spoke with him yako Fonsale, the other day or last week or whatever um what is the basis for sexual morality if it's not religion like how do we know we know that there's something we think is wrong we end up with some kind of and and is that how how does that differ among people and is there a way to find a consensus outside of a religious framework on what is what is your sexual morality founded on what i can get away with Oh, he asked the is same it question. is that right isn't it is it 
isn't that like, that's like, not for me that's not at all what i think well, well there's different strategies employed but I, i'm just saying like if we're talking about morality in general like where it forms is in childhood what it forms around is like what can you get away with what you can't get away with right and maybe the, and over time maybe you just maybe you discover that like the the core of this morality of what i can and can't do has to do with some sort of greater value about like not being selfish or you know being a child of god maybe that's the language that you're used you know like there's but there's there's a higher ideal but on the very crudest level it's like there's a there's this creature that mm. wants to get its way all the time and there's other creatures that impose limits on it and say, you can't do this, you can do that. And so whatever you can get away with is basically like, just like in relief, what morality begins as. And then as time goes on, it, it maybe it has, uh, has a greater ideal. And as you mature, um, that's a great idea. But when we're talking about sexually, I think that it does have to do with what you can get away with. You think so? Because that sounds like you're, if you're familiar with Kohlberg's moral stages, then that would put you at the very lowest level of morality development in terms of sexuality because that's the first level is i just don't i just do what what is right in order to avoid punishment yeah. and then yeah. people progress through stages in their lives and and you know is that are you suggesting that for yourself or for men in general you stay at this really <laughs> low level of morality development with regard yeah, to sex these these arbitrary and and wonderfully poetic stages of things um, are great and all, and they can kind of make sense. But what? How do you know if you're at one stage or another? What what's the transition from one stage to the other? How do you how do you develop beyond being told what to do? And just well, there's a whole theory right, of right. that if you want yeah. to look into it. It's yeah. pretty interesting. A lot of people have spent time working on that. But I is that is that the mature is that <laughs> David? What do you think? If this is is this just Benjamin or is this is this a male perspective? <laughs> I mean, hmm. All of these, all of all of these uh these kind of examples you're giving are all sort of disembodied. A lot of, not 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 these examples, but having kind of relationships online. Oh. I know that word disembodied sounds a bit like kind of like what does everyone mean by disembodied? Is it? I don't know if it is one of those words that people hear and they go, "What does he actually mean by that?" But that immediate feedback, that kind of tethering you have to someone in the moment of building building a relationship in the moment because everything you do is is it has a has a reaction, has a feedback right there and then. Like the, the, your morality can go off, <laughs> can go off in so many directions, particularly, or can go very insular if you don't have those feedback loops around you to um to, to to try them off so yeah like um i mean even i think it's like it's been said quite a few times that uh you know uh it, identity is something that's negotiated with the environment and it is after the age of something like three i think isn't it it's uh it's after the age of three you start kind of like you were saying actually earlier benjamin about the fact that after the age of three you realize that there's other people out there with a with in, in the social environment that actually have needs as well and you have to negotiate your experiences and um, alongside that so yeah um adolescence is another point in which you then start to understand where your position is perhaps in a different group a completely different social group to the one in your family that's less tethered to you so all these things are all I just think I, the more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm thinking mm -hmm. about the, the mention of incels earlier and how those guys hate each other's bodies as well, don't they? They really have a disconnect to their body. They really mm -hmm. have this, isn't there like the black pill community of kind of people who are um, hating on themselves and wanting 
uh, saying that they're sexually um I don't know what I can't remember the terms that they use now. It reminds me very much, I think Deborah and I had this conversation once of another movement, which is disembodied, which is not dislike very much disliking the physical makeup of their body and perhaps wants to transition out of that. That I think is the, the comparison there is quite an interesting one. And I think it on the online world, the lack of feedback loops, the disembodiedness seems to be a big part of that. But is your sexuality formed on what you can get away with or on some sort of... <laughs> Sorry. Love. Yeah, I did move off from that. I moved off topic. I was still thinking about something that Leslie said earlier about relationships, so I was just saying that. Is my sexuality moved on what I can get away with? It maybe was more for a while. And then what happens? You have other feedback loops that tell you... You can't always get away with that. Why can't you get away with that? Well, do you have what's the price? You have gone. Well, I, can can I say something about that? I I want to I want to jump in and, and ask a question of of both of you and you too, Deborah, if you want. Uh, uh, not just your sexuality, but sexual morality as you see it, your moral sexual framework. Like, how do you know something is wrong when you think it's wrong? Like. The, one of the examples that came up when I was talking with Yako was he was talking about a pride parade and there's a man flashing his genitals right in front of a child. And this seemed very wrong. This just, and, and, and then the question is why, why, how do we decide what is wrong in terms of sexuality if we don't have a religious framework? And I'm not saying that we can't, I'm just asking the question how. And so it's not about your own, like, policing your own sexual desire it's about what it, how do you how do you frame what is good and what is bad in terms of sex and sexual relationships if you're not using religion as your backdrop and i can see people using like psychological lens then right you could say what do we know about child development what do we know that children are capable of processing at certain ages without there being some deleterious effects so i can see people pulling a psychological rationale yeah. for sexual behavior they might not even call it morality right um if they weren't going to use a religious one as one you example know, whenever i scratch a psychologist like why do you believe that there's a like it always seems to devolve into relativity it's just like well you know this is good for some people this isn't good for other people like because they're basically psychologists their job isn't they, they've taken the priestly um mantle and divorced it from from a, a purely divine authority like there's no authority behind that well that uh, would be one I of the differences between psychology and philosophy then well there's moral relativists in philosophy if you haven't no but i mean philosophy yeah. seeks to find the answer and psychology yeah. is more about observing yeah and notice and recognizing the patterns maybe i don't know psychology is just kind of messy though they have all these weird concepts in it you know and and you're basically just like hanging out with a friend for an hour and and you know it's so subjective i'm, I'm not discounting it fully but it is kind of it it kind of has like a little bit of scienceiness to it but it's very squishy at the same time psychology the work that it, yeah psychology or like at least practicing psychologists you have to be squishy you have to be you kind of have to be open and and adaptive to the to the human being 
Um, but mm-hmm. then there's this like this creep of scientisty kind of language that kind of comes in there. So it's just like this hybrid discipline. So I don't really trust it as like a source of truth, Deborah, but I can see that you can use that to temper other things to say, okay, here's a morality that I believe comes from a very high place. It, there's something, so there's some sort of divine authority that says shall and shall not. And, you know, and that's what I accept. But to supplement that, I can see that in societies that adopt these mores, there's better family formation, there's more stability in aggregate. In aggregate, it's better for society. So I can feel I can feel a little bit better about this thing, but ultimately I don't feel that this thing is true because I have data. Wow. Okay. So you wouldn't take yeah, so you wouldn't go on an empirical thing like that would, yeah, that wouldn't feel like a high enough authority or or it's too even with empirical there's subjectivity in there well and, and it's very bound to uh you know like the idea of a people it's very bound to ethnicity it's very bound to time and space and and you know and and so relativity take, again yeah it's, yeah, it's, cu- it's cultural really overlays cultural yeah it, it it what works works because it has worked kind of thing and that is always bound to a time and a place and circumstances and as we watch circumstances change with the internet what works what doesn't work maybe to get back to our original question, maybe it will be the case that conservative sexual mores are the proper antidote to societal decay. And that somehow this current generation that's not yet even coming, that's coming up, that's being exposed to all this crazy sexual edu- education, right, will we'll, we'll completely reject it and do some sort of really cool punk thing in, in this unexpected way and say, you know what? one man, one woman, uh, or, you know, like, like really pared down sexual morality. Sex is something that's private. Sex doesn't make any sense and it doesn't have any meaning if it's not coupled to intimacy and true deep human connection. And that's what we want. And without that, without sex being anchored to connection, it goes crazy, it goes wild and so much mess happens. So much, so much destruction happens. And so we need to tether that. And maybe they'll discover that, you know, empirically through their own experience. So was there was there some sort of rewriting that happened after the swinging 60s sometime in the 1970s was there was there a kind of uh i don't know but was there kind of like a popular more conservative uh, movement or in america fact? yeah the majority right when did that kind of 80s well you know if you go back and you look at history the hippie thing like the the sexual licentiousness the cultural revolution wasn't as big as the media portrayed it to be it wasn't it it was a very small movement like numerically most people were still very conservative most people most people acted out sexual conservatism the the thought leaders or whoever they were that that enshrined sexual licentiousness in the media, they eventually chilled out because they burnt themselves out. They went, they moved on from, you know, just wild abandon to all these drugs through the seventies and stuff like that. And then they kind of, it might be the case that media just kind of lost its will to adulate sexual licentiousness. And then in the eighties, you have this cultural revolution where the conservatives get back in power, but conservatives suck at media. They suck and our this is the problem that when I investigate the right wing, the dissident right wing, it's like, okay, but where's your art? You know, like <laughs> where where's like the potent music, right? You actually need those wild open people to be serving you, to be serving your ideals. And you can't, they don't necessarily produce them themselves, the conservatives. Sorry, that was off point. 
Looking at the chat, Randall Sawyer says, my sense is that morality is a question of the boundaries which secure well-being, boundaries between individuals, surrounding family, culture. These boundaries are being questioned and challenged. Oh, why am I not able to scan up? Um, conscious bias says, the energetic men are the few who don't shoot their life force into a sock. <laughs> What is up with socks? <laughs> socks are you just. You were in a sock, Benjamin, the other day. I think I heard you. Yeah. Say. What is up with socks? Are they just like <laughs> sexy little socks? Um. Okay. A Asante sends another super chat. Thank you so much. And says, "Have any of you guys ever read Kant? He talks a lot about the question: Can you reach an objective morality without God?" Hmm. I mean, Sam Harris tries to go into this as well, doesn't he? He his thing is well-being, isn't it? His his thing is to serve the well-being of individuals, something that does serve the greatest amount. It kind of sounds almost quite utilitarian. I don't know. Does anyone? I'm opening up a can of worms that I don't have a lot of quality. Uh, yeah, you start talking about utilitarians, and then like there's this whole discourse around that that I haven't really, I'm not really steeped in ethics. Yeah. Something that um, that Yako talked about was the, the difference between um, habits, patterns, actions that are biophilic versus necrophilic. Oh, and okay, I thought that was right. an interesting framing. And so to this, I, is it enough at its at its heart to base your morality on things which are biophilic and therefore life supporting and in the direction of of um of life rather than things that are destructive of life how Could do you, you make how, how do you make that distinction does it would you better explain that i don't know i think that it's a it, it would have What's to be for, teased yeah. apart for each particular um violet lotus thank you so much sends a super chat that's very nice and says leslie have you done a show on the porn crisis with teens and young men leading to an inability to enter properly into relationship with females. I have not, but I think this topic is really important and I'd like to spend more time on it. So thank you. Um, mm. Guy in his room says necrophiliac. And I don't mean, no, I don't, it wasn't, <laughs> it, it was, it was more like just um, the idea of, of life loving versus death loving, death supporting versus life supporting. And so not, not a, not in terms of like a kink or, um, yeah. or fetish or anything like that just just in terms of the idea of of actions that support life versus actions that break life down like we see the celebration of abortion we see the celebration of you like this crazy like medical assistance and dying that's going around in canada where we're, we're supposed to be celebrating the a suicide so this seems very yeah. clearly necrophilic in that in you know if you're framing it that way but there's other things that could be seen that way as well like the to, i think that the disconnection of sex becoming more and more commodified and disconnected from the act of conception which is what it's you know biologically intended for yeah i just that framework you have to be really careful not to slip into the so-called natural fallacy where you just say well whatever supports life is therefore good and it's mm -hmm. that's just not the case because what, what kind of life are we talking about what kind of life the good life and the good are two kind of different things you know rape if if rape leads to birth and that that's that's uh, what biophilic you know but is that good well but doesn't yeah. it also hurt the 
hurt one of the two people involved. And so that would lead to degradation. Yeah, but, and But pain is a part of life, you know? So like, it, as long as it results in more life, then you see, oh, that's what I'm saying. Like it, you can't just say whatever causes life is good, you know? Cause I mean, then you just have to let syphilis run through your countrymen. Cause like, that's a form of life too. We don't want to, you know, be <laughs> well, like, well, how about human billing. life? Human yeah. life. So that's, know. yeah, that's, okay. an, that's anthropo. Point taken though. Yeah. Okay. It's the flourishing word, but that kind of goes with well-being too, I guess. I don't, you know, would flourishing be the goal? Yeah. Are those terms sexy enough and powerful enough to like lead a whole, like they just seem a little foofy. Which like ones are Oprah's, foofy? Like well-being, oh. flourishing, like. Like, you know, like, I mean, and you see in the right wing with this uh, one um, thought leader over there called Bronze Age Pervert, um, who even Mary Harrington <laughs> says is like the best uh, philosopher of the of the decade, um, where they, they're into vitalism. They're yeah. into, they, they talk a lot about... Um, the is it a they is or a he or a she? I'm, I'm talking about like the group, oh, but okay. he, okay. BAP or Bronze Age Pervert. <laughs> In his book, Bronze Age Mindset, talks a lot about life is not about reproducing more life. Life, the 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 creature wants is seeking the best self that it can be. It's very Nietzschean. It's very like it, it's not enough to flourish. Like I have to be awesome. Like it's it's a total maximalist, very masculine kind of philosophy. If you go in that direction, if you go, if you go through to life flourishing, you're going to have aspects of it that are going to be more masculine, more vitalist, more exacting, more warrior-ish, which is, which is ironically, or, or yeah, ironic in this ironic relationship with where life and death come together to, 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 you know, to go beyond just life and flourishing to go beyond that. And death needs to be a part of that in order for life to really become what it could be. And that's a very masculine way of, of viewing that. Well, then it would have to always be in, kept in balance. Well, so the ego part of that could go, I mean, if it doesn't go to ego transcendence, then it could be a problem, right? If it's just me and my building up of my whatever and becoming the most extreme thing, and maybe I don't even notice there's anyone in front of me. <laughs> like. Yeah. Yeah. But Dave those Porter. are those kind of guys, like with enough of those kind of guys tethered to society, your society is going to go forward without that kind of guy. I don't see you, you having like an awesome civilization now. Like it's going to be like, it's going to have a lot of flaws. It's going to be a lot of terror, but it's going to be really awesome too. You know, hard man make good time kind of thing, you know, but hard man need bad time to make good time with. Right. Um, kind of thing. So do they, I, when you said tethered, it made me think like, do, so do I imagine them like the plow horse in front? Like, like, do we need a little bit of reins on them or do we give them no reins? Like what, will they move forward if they the have The entrepreneurs, the, the innovators, like mm -hmm. the, the captains of in, the heroes of history, you know, like the Napoleons, the Beethovens, like those guys, like the, and that's a very, I for, forget who it was who said that history is just the, the the record of great men kind of view of history i can't remember who that is it's not burke um, it's a british uh well it's carlisle actually um that's one way of viewing things um that that you know if kept in balance or if let's not say balance if in dialogue with a more 
I don't know what Lef Leslie's trying to get out with flourishing. I don't think it's kind of a long Halcyon, totally feminized society, but it does have something much more essentially feminine. And I think it might be built around conception, around motherhood, if that's fleshed mm -hmm. out and developed and then put in relationship with a, that heroic mindset. Like you might have like some kind of cool competitive co-processing society between male and female. Yeah, when you said that, I just got this sense of, because I do, I feel like we're, we've somehow stalled in cultural fertility, like, uh, like there's something not right. I don't even know what I'm meaning exactly, but something just kind of hit me about the relationship with this, with the sexes and somehow it's not, I don't, I hate the word optimal because I do not like this idea of engineering something to be optimal, but there could be a lot more like cultural fertility in a certain sense of the relationship with the sexes was rightly aligned um i uh, i feel like there's more i should say but that's as much as i got so far <laughs> like, like, there's echo of paglia coming out sorry david oh sorry i was just gonna say i mean with the birth rate point i was just thinking that i guess the conservatives will win in the end weren't they <laughs> with the fact that their community may be the only community you know conservative mm. or religious uh, communities are the only ones that seem to have a birth rate that's that's still on track to be increasing in Amish. Or the Amish. Amish will outbreed us all. Amish <laughs> the Amish will, right. <laughs> there we go. Little 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 more embodied relationships, a little bit less online. <laughs> and that just to make a sub point about what happened this past so-called Pride Month, there was footage of people chant walking through the streets shouting, we're coming for your children, we're coming for your children. And there's this whole media bungling of that because, you know, the conservatives get a hold of that, post it, and then they're, the conservatives are slandered for showing that. And then, you know, the, the news says, well, actually, it's uh, they go from it's not happening to it's happening and it's good in record times. Like, no, it's always been happening and it's good and you're bad for noticing it, right? <laughs> so that whole, like, you know, biophilic versus self-philic, you know, or like community-philic or, or life, uh, society-philic. Like we want to build society. We want to have kids that grow up stable and productive versus we want to take your children, whatever that means, and, you know, put them through the meat grinder of pure pleasure and selfishness. Like those two things are coming out of, out of head. I want to read a couple of, of comments. Michael Stanley says, in the 12 steps, they talk about having a sexual ideal in this way, we tried to shape a sane and sound ideal for our future sex life. We subject each relation to the test. Was it selfish or not? So that's interesting because it's about, about taking a longer term look at what is, what is proper and beneficial rather than just in the moment. And then um, Dave Porter says, might pornography also have an influence on young women who see gender nonconformity as a way to avoid degradation and oppression? Mm -hmm. that goes into the the d-trans topic you see i've seen a lot of examples of that mm -hmm. yeah i think that's a i think that's a really good point i think that you could have a whole easily long conversation just around that topic what what not only pornography but social media does to girls and their self-image and their the pressure that they feel and and how perhaps a subset of people are so demoralized by that, that that's a, that's a part of what's happening with, with girls, with the, the girl crisis. You know what I'm wondering is if, I mean, whether we tie it to a religious thing or not, there's something about 
whether it's guiding people or whatever to, because we kind of have this whole self-fulfillment thing, right? It's like, everything's like my self-fulfillment, my satisfaction, my whatever. And if it's somehow, especially younger people giving this opportunity, you actually experience feeling the fulfillment of someone else being, you know, and I'm not even talking just sexually, right? Like expanding where you determine your, yourself begins and ends are like, if you care, your society is doing better, or if you care, if your family is doing better, if you care, like, so we're not just having the locus of satisfaction only here. I don't want to say we give ourselves up completely and be some sacrifice for the other, but it, it just seems like right now it's so, everything is so me centered. And what if there was more awareness on, oh, what is it like to have my friend feel better or what my parent feel better or what is it? And again, not to sacrifice ourselves completely because you could just be really codependent. Um, yeah. But I, I, just to have some more awareness of a bigger, like a bigger identity in, in some sense. Um, and what is, what is it to be satisfied at that level or, or joy you can get from others um, yeah. enjoyment? Well, it goes back to what we were talking about, about the hierarchy of morals, where it's like, well, what can I get away with? Right? That's the first thing. Like, okay, what are the walls to my maze, to my prison of being with other people, you know? And then within that, if you get acclimated to that, then you start to, you can grow within that, right? So you get the negative feedback. And then within that, like, this is what's right. This is what's wrong. Okay, now my, my sexuality is limited to like this thing or this i have a sex pact now and but within the sex pact now what does sex mean within that like it's no longer expended into socks or uh, or to or to, <laughs> to or to thoughts right um on, on yes. online or or on tinder right it's it's expended and it's linked to one human being and like now there's frustration and now there's negotiation and now i have to buy flowers and listen to emotional conversations and we have to ruminate now, you know, but like in that as a man, like I'm extended, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I have to be more verbal. So I gain some verbal skills, you know, and I gain well, sounds location. pretty miserable when you put well, it Okay. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I'm, I'm going at it negatively. It's like, okay, now, you know, biographically. Is... yeah, yeah. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> no, it's not, it's not, it's yeah, not, it is. it's not, it's not, it's not, um, <laughs> But then what do I gain? Like, and then how do you, how do you convince young men and young women that there's something beyond that? There's something to be gained here. And this, mm. that is being gained is actually going to demand a lot of maturity from you. And if you look at what people are being fed, like with just like sex ed is one thing, right? But they're not even fed like literature, like where, where you develop a sense, like a deep sense of like, wow, human beings are really complex. There's a lot going on inside of our heads kids are not being prepared to go on that huge adventure like necessarily uh, in in public schools at least they, to really develop themselves like they're really weighed down by a very shallow education system and stuff so like after you get sexuality in place then you have to deal with the relationship well what's the relationship the relationship's huge it's like this is another whole person Right. And a lot of people are like, like, are you willing to go through what it takes? And maybe, maybe you're lucky and you get like a shallow person and you're a shallow person too. And like you pair up, like, we don't need to be really deep. We can just fuck on the weekends and then just go about our day. Right. Right. Like, like not, it, it doesn't have to be this grand, stressful, like all consuming relationship of unity and harmony, but that is something that is, that is there if you want it within marriage, let's say within a conservative steady 
long-term relationship. Like there, there is something great and grand and very noble in that. And, and that needs to be spoken up and spoken to, um, you know, and, and pitched, you, you need to pitch to the, the young women and the young men. If you can get through this gauntlet, there's other things beyond that, you know, not to mention children and all that comes with children. You know, that's a thing I appreciate on the right or, or conservative, you know, when you see the men, if you listen to, I listen to podcasts, I like listen sometimes to subversive and Alex Hushuda will have people on and you can see them knowing men should be challenged, liking challenge and even liking discipline, like, and then seeing that there is a discipline in being in a committed situation, but actually as opposed to being like, oh man, like, I'm, you know, there's, there's like this rising up. There's this, um, uh, like, like liking, like, oh good, I'm going to go run 50 laps and I feel good about it or something like that. And also so much of this, and I don't know, I don't know what young men feel about like fatherhood, but hearing men being excited to have a family. Like you think like the, for, on the liberal side, it would be like, oh my God, I'm constrained. I need more choices or something like that. And to hear men, I don't know if it's because they got it from their family and that's a value they have or, or somehow finding their way into like looking forward to that and looking forward to having a, a, a more contained and constrained thing where they're not facing the marketplace constantly with like overwhelming choices. So hmm. I, 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 I mean, I always go, where are these men? You know, I, these, <laughs> well, you know, one thing people, that, but they seem to be there. When you talk about young people, young men, what they might be thinking. One thing that comes to mind is how we admonish people so hard not to get, not to be in a serious relationship too early. But when is the proper time? It's like, it's talked about that. You don't want to do it too young. You're too young. Oh, you're too young. You're too young to get married. You're too young to have kids. But then there's like, an ellipsis. When is it now the right time? We don't have a cultural consensus on that and a cultural wave of support for people to do things at a certain time. It's just don't do it. And so then you're, you're kind of cautioned out of connecting and never folded into now it's the proper time. Now let's get you connecting. I don't know if that, that's not very well thought out. You know, back in, Back in our day, uh, there was this whole scare about teen pregnancy, like teen pregnancy, teen pregnancy. It's like this scourge of the land and like something that was uh, just like blanketly discouraged. But why? Like, is was there not? It just it just it doesn't beg the question. Uh, maybe it begs the question. I don't know if that's the right front, but it 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 raises the concern do young people have the infrastructure for long-term deep relationship is there is that what's missing they don't have the infrastructure we talk about the dating market we talk about you know we're we're longing for we bring up religion because we're longing for an infrastructure in which we can live our lives mm-hmm. right that's what a religion is it's an in, infrastructure and and it's not just religion it's a community of belief right and and that opens the question to what degree can you have or to what degree is it possible or how does it affect your chances of having a successful monogamous relationship without a community an infrastructure um around you to support you right and then an in infrastructure a theoretical or theological infrastructure within that relationship that guides you that gives you access to a scaffolding 
of mm-hmm. like, okay, we're, we're, we're dealing with this low morality here, but we're, we're, we're dealing with it because we're serving a higher morality up here mm-hmm. an ideal that we're pursuing. We're pursuing it together and we're, we're, we're helping each other. We're not demanding it of each other, but we're helping to lift each other up towards this higher ideal. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say there's probably a biological component of that infrastructure as well, isn't there? I mean, our prefrontal cortexes don't don't develop until we're 25 as well. So there's still, I mean, for a team, perhaps there's that there is that sort of slight emphasis on it because of the fact that there is also uh, a need to grow your brain, to grow that sense in which you have consequences, you have uh, maybe an an idea of long term uh, infrastructure that can come about as a result of these things. And yeah. and yet, isn't there research that shows that the best time for a woman biologically to have a child is between the ages of 17 and 21? Hmm. There are lifelong health benefits to having, uh, you know, carried a pregnancy to term during oh, this very early- Oh, that's a great pickup line, of- guys. Got anybody out there, if you're wooing a 17-year-old, bring up that there's tons of oh, health benefits to it. Good grief. <laughs> I, think, I think I'd still want a parent that had more of a prefrontal- Maybe, maybe. I mean, I, I had my first child at 19 and I can remember being treated terribly by the medical establishment. I was put into a teen. I wanted to do like the Lamaze class or whatever, the birth pre-birth class. And they made me join the teen parent class. And I felt so offended by that. I was like, I was married and, you know, independent. And I was 19. I wasn't like, I, I felt like this teen class should have been for people that were in high school. And I was not allowed to do the adult class because I was a teen. And so it's just all these little things. And and I was, uh, there was so much disdain from the nurses, like you're too young, and, mm. you know, but yet you're, you're biologically mature and it was a very healthy pregnancy. And I, I, you know, we can have a debate about whether that was a good idea or not to be having children that young. I, I guess that's a reasonable people could disagree and have conversations around that, but it was, mm. it was very much, um, uh, I felt like a, I felt socially like a failure for getting pregnant so early and having, and getting married really young. And yeah, I guess it raises a lot of questions. I have a chicken egg question, which is, cause you think about all these younger people. I mean, everybody, everybody isn't really maturing like they used to. I mean, you know, back in the day when people were 19 or 20 and had a kid, they were actually like mature or something like that. And are we, are we, have we become less mature, partly as a youth culture, but is it because we've delayed having children so people don't have to grow up or hmm. I don't know which comes first or that we don't have religion, people are not having some sort of thing that's, make, I don't know, I'm just thinking about this thing where people aren't really adulting, like they, they I'm adulting, adulting, right? But, but we're not really being that mature and taking on these responsibilities or something culturally that way and I don't know if it's because of the loss of religion or this delay of a of parenthood or if one perceives the other or maybe it's co you know operating somehow well as somebody who did jump right into adulthood that way I got married at, eight, at 19 had a child at 19 and another child at 21 and then I was very much I was a homemaker and taking care of my kids young and so my my other moms in my peer group were significantly older than me my impression of people who were my age at that time was that they were living out this prolonged adolescence and really not growing up at all like partying drinking not taking responsibility sleeping around it just these were college kids and not and kids not in college and not and I'm calling them kids but 
you know, these were young adults that, that were living a completely different lifestyle to what I was living. And maybe that's just the judgment of youth and being so sure of yourself. And, and, you know, that I'm sure that there's an element of that, but I really did see it as this bizarre culturally supported extended adolescence. What a way to jumpstart your maturity, I think, and to have responsibility for a, a, yeah, an infant that you've got. I mean, that probably, I'm sure that probably does rewire your brain entirely, doesn't it, in some ways, because you're now, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think that all works. Yeah, I do wonder, though, everybody spouts that 25 cortical cortex development, but I'm, I'm, there's got to be some sort of environmental uh, feedback yeah. loop on, on that. I was thinking the same thing as Leslie was talking. There's got to be so many factors that also have a, pl- a role to play in that. And mm. probably ha- having a child would be one of the probably most most major factors that would then cause cause you to. Um, I mean, I'm just starting to wonder actually. Is there are there any more factors that we can we can almost say are things that either stunt stunt maturity or or, or stunt that progression? I, I'd like to know. I mean, I I know Jordan Peterson's talked about kind of um single parents uh, single parent families um creating uh, a, uh creating a, a i think it's like an earlier an earlier maturity in the kids if there's only a single parent in the household and that, that struck me as quite interesting but i have mm-hmm. i don't know where else i could go with that otherwise i don't know if you guys heard of that no i've heard that i think that's really interesting i think that it it makes some sense because i you know people people do crave purpose and want to to have a a reason and want to have something that that we need a a motivator and if Mm. you are allowed to continue to behave irresponsibly into adulthood at a time in life where you could be taking responsibility what does that what does that do to you overall what does that do to your i don't know your sense of purpose in life and does it create a greater propensity for depression who knows i i I don't really have an answer i'm just curious about these things well it's it's 11 so well it's an hour in so wherever you are it's an hour after we started so it's a good time to wrap up does anybody have any final thoughts you want to raise or or cap this off with I'm off to go see Oppenheimer shortly. And oh. I wonder if Oppenheimer is one of the characters that you might describe as a Bronze Age. What was it? Pervert? Oppenheimer? <laughs> no, possibly not. I was just thinking of people who move forwards ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh well maybe... that that whole project, the whole Manhattan project, was a very particular form of um collective organization that was a top-down we're putting one person in charge and we're going to get this thing done and we're going to put everything behind it and we don't do that those kind of things that often anymore right like this very goal-oriented very very meritocratic very only the best and if you (laughs) if you're not up and running like get out of the way right Mm -hmm. um so it's kind of silly there's some discourse online where the intersectionalists like a woman doesn't talk until 20 minutes into the film yeah i saw that and then you know the response is like oh too bad we didn't have a woman interrupting the the building of the bomb every five minutes you know like they would have been (laughs) so much more humane when we dropped it on hiroshima if we had like a diversity hire you know yeah, rainbow <laughs> glitter coming out of it or something. a sensitivity bomber you know 
Trigger warning. <laughs> yeah, trigger warning. Well, you had that gender meme with a bomb, Benjamin. What was that? Oh, really? It's like what? a glitter, like a rainbow, like rainbow mushroom bomb? cloud. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I, I, I am become gender destroyer of words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys for a good chat. And yeah, yeah it's really nice to see you all. Yeah. Nice and talking with you guys. Thanks to everybody who joined us in the chat. And we'll be here next week, same time. And see y'all then. Okay. My goodness. I don't know how to stop the recording. Okay. Now I'm stopping the recording. The live is already off. <laughs> okay.